Thank you, Jesus. Well, we are in a series on salt and light, as they just shared. This is part two. And I want to talk to you about a very cool word, and that word is ecclesia. And we, as the ecclesia, we are bringing salt and light. Jesus told us, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, and we get to extend the kingdom. But he used a unique word to talk about how that actually happens, how we act as salt and light, and how we engage. And so we're going to unpack that today. He, uh, he uses the word ecclesia when he describes the expansion of kingdom, and he doesn't choose the word synagogue. You guys are familiar with the word synagogue. The synagogue was a lot like what we're doing here, actually. Um, that, you know, when people come to church, that's fairly similar, really, to the synagogue when we're meeting together and looking at the scriptures. That's what the Jews were doing um, after the temple had been destroyed and then after there was a temple yet rebuilt. But they continued to meet together to read the scriptures, to study the word of God, and to seek to obey what God had, had taught us to do in the centrality of the scriptures. They would meet in the synagogues. He didn't use the word temple either. The temple was rebuilt in Jesus's, or before Jesus' day, and it was standing when Jesus was there. But he didn't say, when I expand my kingdom, I will build my temple, and the gates of hell will, won't prevail against it. So he didn't say, I will build my temple, and the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. And he didn't say, I will build my synagogue, and the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. He said, I will build my Right? You know the word church. And the word that he used that, we, that was translated as church for us, which is certainly appropriate, but it's much more than that, is the word ecclesia. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. He says, I will build my ecclesia. Now, let me ask you something. If I were to say to you, I'm going to build a baseball team, how many of you are confused about what that would mean? Probably just me, actually. I'm like the only not great sports person here, as Jason Janelle loved to point out. But we know what baseball is. I don't have to unpack that for you, right? It's like they're going to have mitts. They're going to have gloves. There's going to be a bat involved and the bases and all of that. You would just know instinctively if I said, hey, I will build my baseball team and we are not going to lose. You'd be like, whoo, that's going to be a sweet baseball team. And you would understand what that was. I wouldn't have to take a long time to explain all the nuances and how the structure worked. You would know immediately. Jesus is doing the same thing when he says, I will build my ecclesia. And so I want to just show you some of, of what he meant by that. Now, Jesus is the foundation of the church. We know this. He is unifying the reality that he makes all things possible, specifically the ability for us to be one by gathering in his name and his presence. Amen. We're the most diverse group in the world. I want you to look around at the people around you. We have people of different gender. We have people of different colors. We have different people of different ethnicities. We have different with people with different socioeconomic backgrounds. We have people that live in Junction City and Eugene and Monroe and Springfield and all, all over. And you're from all over. But I'll tell you, the reason why you're here is not because of where you were born. It's not because of what your skin color is. It's not because of your gender. It's not because of the, the uh, cultural backdrop that you have. It's none of those things. The reason why you're here is because Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the only reason. That's the one thing that unifies us is Christ himself. And the church, the ecclesia, is actually the most diverse group of people in the entire earth. And the one thing that we have in common is Jesus himself and his kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? 
In every other religion and every other thing that you see, there may be some diversity, but primarily every other place, it's based on geography, ethnicity, socioeconomic background, etc. But the true body of Christ is joined by only one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. And that makes us the most diverse. And when you look at the statistics in the world, it is incredible to see that it is the only one true picture of what unity actually is. John 17 happens because of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful, isn't it? And y'all are beautiful. Look around at yourself. You guys are beautiful. You look like Jesus. I'm more excited about than you are. You guys should have been a little bit of, woo, yeah, we do. Or at least a, that Jesus. All right. The authority God gives us is found in assembling in unity and agreement in prayer. I'm going to say that again. The authority that God gives us is found in our assembling and in the unity, I'm sorry, assembling in unity in Christ. All right, we just said that. And agreement in prayer. When we agree in prayer, we have authority to see things happen because we're agreeing with God as his people, as the ecclesia, and we see it begin to happen on earth. As we continue to do so, we are then actually living as salt and light. Isn't that beautiful? So let me unpack this for you a little bit. First of all, I want to start with this scripture, Matthew chapter 16, 15 through 20. Jesus says this. But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, right there where he says church, what do you think that word is? Ecclesia. I will build my church. Ecclesia, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I'm going to unpack this a little bit, and I'm going to let, uh, I'm gonna let um, Ed Silvoso actually talk to you a little bit. I'm going to read an excerpt from his book, which is called Ecclesia, and uh, he just unpacks it so well, so so sit back and enjoy this lovely excerpt brought to you by Ed Silvoso. The Genesis of the Ecclesia. At the time of Jesus' birth and all through his life on earth, there were three main institutions in Israel. The temple, the synagogue, and the Ecclesia. It is usually assumed that all three were religious bodies, but only the temple and the synagogue fit that description. The Ecclesia was not religious at all. And since it was first developed as a ruling assembly of citizens in the Grecian democracy to govern its city-states, it consisted of men 18 years or older who had done two years of military service, in essence, people who were substantially committed to their city-state. In a broader sense, ecclesia also came to mean an assembly of citizens duly convened. And when the more hierarchical Romans replaced the Greeks in the imperial scene, the Romans assimilated the concept. You guys with us so far? Consequently, the general public in Jesus' day understood ecclesia to mean both the secular institution and the governmental system it represented. We find an example of the Hellenistic ecclesia in the book of Acts, which we just read through. When Paul associates Gaius and Aristarchus they were dragged to the theater in Ephesus, a Roman colony, in response to a complaint brought by the local union of silversmiths. 
The word that is translated assembly in this instance is the same one rendered church elsewhere in the New Testament. See Acts 19. Here, ecclesia refers to the crowd twice and a third time to the court itself, showing that the term was employed to describe a body of people assembled to conduct governmental business. In fact, when the town clerk dismissed the assembly, the ecclesia, amidst warnings of illegality in Acts 19, the same noun translated assembly in that verse is translated church 112 times elsewhere in the New Testament. You catching this? This is a, a well-established secular word that means an assembly of people for a legal reason. You with me? This assembly model is precisely the one that Jesus chose to emulate conceptually, as we will see in greater detail later. It's most revealing that Jesus did not say, I will build my temple or I will build my synagogue, the two premier Jewish religious institutions. If he were thinking along those lines, he could have said, I will restore and even surpass the former glory of the temple so that the heads of state will journey to Jerusalem as the queen of Sheba did until every world ruler has bent his or her knee before the God worshipped here. He could have also said, I'll build my own worldwide network of synagogues to make the gospel available to every people in every nation. The synagogue was the religious place where Jews met on the Sabbath to read the scriptures and to pray. And like the temple, a building was essential to the synagogue's function. When the moment came to introduce his transformational agency, Jesus selected neither one. Instead, he announced that he would build his ecclesia. Choosing a term that in the Roman Empire in general and also in subjugated Israel described a governmental institution. The Lord did not discard everything that went on in the temple or the synagogue, but he assimilated significant components from both institutions into his ecclesia. From the temple, he kept the indwelling presence of God, which Robin just so powerfully prayed about, right? Come on. And from the synagogue of the central role of the scriptures and the fellowship of its members. Where the temple and the synagogue differ with Jesus' ecclesia, however, is in the areas of constitution, location, and mobility. The temple and the synagogue were static institutions that functioned in buildings that members had to go on, I'm sorry, that members had to go on specified occasions, whereas the ecclesia was a buildingless, mobile people movement designed to operate 24-7 in the marketplace for the purpose of having an impact on everybody and everything. Amen. Is that cool? All right, I've got one more little section I want to read. Say that again, Josh. Okay, I'm going to say it again. We got, uh, we, got a, we got Apostle Steve over here. We got to listen to him. Here we go. He says, the ecclesia was a buildingless, mobile people movement designed to operate 24-7 in the marketplace for the purpose of having an impact on everybody and everything. The conventus. This is a part of the ecclesia. The Greek and Roman versions of the ecclesia appeared in different forms and sizes. 
all of which are relevant to the subject at hand. But one format is especially notable, the Conventus Civium Romanorum, or Conventus for short, thank you, Jesus. According to Sir William Ramsey, when a group of Roman citizens, as small as two or three, gathered anywhere in the world, it constituted the Conventus as a local expression of Rome. Sound familiar to you guys? Even though geography separated them from the capital of the empire and the emperor, their coming together as fellow citizens automatically brought the power and presence of Rome into their midst. This was indeed the Roman ecclesia in a microcosm. We see an expression of this in Acts 16 when the Roman magistrates panicked at the realization that they had beaten and thrown in prison a fellow citizen, Paul. We just, we just talked about this a couple weeks ago. Without due process accorded to Romans. And later on, another centurion and his commander exhibited similar concerns after finding out that Paul, who they were about to punish, was also a Roman citizen in Acts 22. Evidently, when two or more Roman citizens connected, the laws and protection of the emperor were in their midst. This is relevant to our discussion because in Matthew 18, after describing the authority entrusted to his deputies as the ecclesia to bind and release for the will of God to be done on earth, Jesus stated that this was possible because where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. This is exactly what the Conventus did for the emperor. Jesus made his authority available to his ecclesia in the same manner, but in a much greater dimension when he stipulated that whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven, in Matthew 18. By selecting the ecclesia model, over the temple or the synagogue, Jesus chose an agency better suited to succeed everywhere, not just in Israel, where he ministered extensively, but also in the pagan societies where he would send his disciples. Raise your hand, that's you guys. His ultimate objective was not to reproduce or expand religious institutions. It was to see nations discipled by inserting the leaven of his kingdom into their social fiber through his ecclesia. Once we understand that Jesus chose a concept with which his disciples and their contemporaries were already familiar in the secular area arena, we can then see why he taught so few times about it. It's kind of like the baseball analogy, right? We all understand what that is. I'm not going to go on and on explaining it. It was the same thing with Jesus when he said, you're my ecclesia. They go, oh. Wow, we know exactly how that works. There was no need to explain what everybody already knew. It was unnecessary to teach the obvious. To the people in the Roman Empire, including Israel, the ecclesia was as familiar a concept as the state assembly is to those living in a democracy, or the management team is to employees in a corporation. There was no need for Jesus or for the New Testament writers later on to describe for their audiences what was already known as a decision-making, society-impacting people institution. I'm going to read that again. It was already known, you, Ecclesia, 
you're already known, you need to know this, you are a decision-making, society-impacting people institution. On the other hand, it was essential, listen to this part, this is the salt and light part, guys, it was essential for Jesus to teach extensively about the kingdom of God, or its equivalent, the kingdom of heaven, as the new factor in the equation, so much so that he made reference to the kingdom over a hundred times. We have to actually be salty and actually be light in order, as the ecclesia, to change the world for the better. Are you with me? We reflect the light of the Lord, but we're already positioned as the ecclesia to be the salt and light. But we must understand what we are. Are you guys with me? It's pretty encouraging stuff. So Jesus, first of all, says, I am the Christ. Peter says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, yes. And on that understanding that I, Jesus, am actually with you, the emperor of the universe, the anointed one of God, the savior of all, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, on you knowing that, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Peter, if you understand who I am, then you'll understand who you are. And everyone who understands who I am joins my ecclesia, becomes part of my ecclesia, my assembly, my governing body of the kingdom of heaven on earth as salt and light and yeast, right? To go into all of society and where any two of you are together touching anything in my name, I will do it. He says to him, I will give you the keys to the kingdom. What are those keys? That if any two are you together touching anything in my name, my father will give it to you. Obviously, we have to pray in his name, meaning it has to be according to who he is. You know, be like, Jesus, please call down fire on my enemies. What did he say to his disciples when they did it earlier? You guys don't know what spirit you're of. I'm not answering that prayer. Came here to save the world, so don't pray any damn the world prayers because I'm not doing that. Are you with me? But he says, this is, this is the declaration. When you bring me, when you come into the scene, you actually bring me into the scene. This gives us a full picture of what Jesus meant when he talks to his disciples about making, uh, making I'm sorry, when he talks to his disciples about making disciples of all nations. Whew, coffee drink. We're the ecclesia. We're the assembled ones of God, the assembly of God. And we have delegated authority to pray and display on earth as it is in heaven. If we don't have the right picture, though, of what we are, we certainly won't be able to display to others something that we can't even see. It's kind of like doing a puzzle and you don't have the top box cover of the puzzle. Has anybody ever tried to do that? Did you actually, you know what, you keep your mind to yourself. That's my sister. She's so competitive. She probably did it. But the Holy Spirit helped you because you're the ecclesia, which just proves my point. All right. I believe this is actually a source of great frustration for a lot of us, guys, because we are trying to experience and display the gospel of the kingdom while only engaging with one of the aspects of being the ecclesia, and yet neglecting other aspects. Like we gather together with this picture of church, the called out ones, the people of God, which is certainly true, but misunderstanding that we are the assembly of God, his governing force on earth with divine authority 
to defeat principalities and powers in high places, and to absolutely dismantle the works of the devil in every area of poverty, relationally, physically, spiritually, materially, and in every way. We're here to destroy those things through our obedience to Jesus Christ. We bring justice and mercy of Christ through our obedience and our agreement in Christ as the ecclesia. That's a whole lot more. It certainly involves what we're doing right now, gathering and worshiping and getting salty and filled with light, but it's certainly more than just that. And some of the frustration that you probably are feeling is only understanding one aspect of this. So why is it? Where did this come from? Where did this come from, this idea that we're, that we're you know, are you guys going to church? Are you going to church? As though church is some location where you would go. Like we're going to go, I'm going to go to the church. What is that? He didn't say, I will build my the church and you will go to the church and then on this I will. No. No, he said, you are the ecclesia. So where did this idea come from? Well, let me tell you where it came from. King James. King James was very helpful in bringing about this a very effective neutering of the picture of what we are as the ecclesia. Who is King James, you ask? Well, he's a king. There was a hint there for you. But King James was a very corrupt man, actually. And he made himself the head of the Anglican church at that time. And he, of course, how many of you guys had a King James Bible in your life or still have one? Yeah, I love my King James Bible. I learned to read, literally learned to read. The first word I learned to read was in, as in in the beginning. The second one was the beginning was hard. Took till sixth grade before I got that one done. But nonetheless, that's where I learned to read. And I love my King James Bible. We pray the, the Lord's Prayer from the King James because, well, actually, it's the Book of Common Prayer. But anyway, King James and Book of Common Prayer. Bottom line is, it's lovely. It's poetic. There's a lot of incredible things about it. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. However, there were some directives that King James brought to his translators when he had them do a fresh translation of the Bible. There was already a very wonderful, accurate Tyndale translation, but there was 15 directives, and one of those directives was this, that in every case where it said ecclesia, rather than translating it as assembly, which is what we see it was, the Greek word ecclesia is the assembly, we just, you've just heard what it is, he said, I want you to translate it as church, which is of the Lord, or called out ones, which is certainly true that we are of the Lord, and we are called out. But it's certainly more than just that. Are you with me? And what happened then was God working through, God bless the British, praise be to God for the missionaries coming out and taking the gospel everywhere. But as they brought the gospel, they brought the authorized King James Version with them. Now King James, the reason why he wanted this to not be the assembly was specifically because he truly believed in the divine right of kings and had no desire that the people of God would have any governing influence to question his authority or anything that he was doing, as well as the hierarchical approach to the kingdom of heaven. And so we became the church instead of the ecclesia, instead of the assembly. I bet you that there's like some people from Assemblies of God right now that are like high-fiving in heaven like, I told you we had that right. <laughs> now, I'm in no way diminishing the good things that God has done through the King James Bible. Come on, eat the meat, spit out the bones. But this is a fact of our history 
that the word church has been imprinted into our imaginations instead of the word assemblies of God, meaning full, absolute citizens of the kingdom of heaven empowered by the emperor of the universe to extend his kingdom against which the gates of hell will not prevail. Come on. That's a lot more powerful than separation of church and state. That's a whole lot more powerful than I'm going to go to church on Sunday and then I'm going to leave and live like hell. That's different, isn't it? It's a terrible thing. You guys, words shape worlds. Okay? They do. What we understand from something paints the picture of what it's supposed to be. Think about the disciples when they were talking with Jesus and they go, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Remember that? And Jesus says to them, you guys, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And they're like, are you kidding me right now? Like, he's as awesome as you? That's, you're saying he, we have access like that? Like, seeing you is to see the Father? Because we know you. We're hanging out with you. You're making water out of wine at weddings, <laughs> healing people, raising the dead, talking back to the powers that be and bringing justice and mercy and truth uncorruptible, accessible, and God with us, Emmanuel, and the Father's like that? I'm in. And he's like, yes, you are. And you are the ecclesia. It painted a picture immediately. They needed to see what it was so that they could extend who he is. And we're no different. But we're walking around as George. <laughs> Got to go to George, right? And, and, and I, I do believe, I don't want to disparage too much. I'm having fun. I'm being playful here, okay? We're certainly whatever it is you think of when you think of church, but it's certainly not just that, all right? It's certainly more than just that. Certainly more. We have to assemble. Some of us think, it's so good to see you, by the way. We have to assemble. That's so important. You don't get salt and light. We've got to stir each other up. You lose your saltiness and your light. It's certainly that, but it's certainly more. I want to tell you a story. I've told you this story before. When I was in Youth with a Mission, and uh, during the teaching time, one of the speakers was talking about inner healing and shared this story of this woman who had gone through horrific things, and God has restored her, and she's healed. Praise God. But her story was terrible. Her father was a horrible, horrible, broken man, and he hated her. And so he always called her a dog. He wouldn't let her be in the house, and he treated her like a dog, and he called her a dog. And she wasn't allowed to come in. And if she did come in, she had to eat her food on the floor out of a dish like a dog when he did feed her. And one time she was very, very hungry. So she snuck into the home to get something out of the fridge because he was not there. But he came home in the midst of it. And he said, what are you doing? Dogs don't belong in my house. And she went down on all fours and ran out of the house like a dog. And I heard that story. It just broke my heart. But here's the thing. Those words and that picture of who her father was saying that she was, even though she clearly wasn't, she's a woman, a daughter of the king who, thank God, is now restored, but she had been called by this word. She had been told of this picture, and these words shaped her to the point that in that moment of crisis, she literally got down on fours and ran like a dog. You guys, I believe there's something that is going on here with us when we misunderstand that we are not the church as we understand it. We are the church, the ecclesia, the assembly of the living God. We are not to be running out the door on all fours as some scared little pie in the sky, by and by, I'm going to wait till he comes, hiding out, hope Jesus comes soon because, boy, the big bad devil's out there. No, 
I will build my ecclesia, and even the gates of hell won't prevail against it. I am taking you from strength to strength and glory to glory. Nothing is impossible for you. In fact, let's let Jesus say it. He's going to say it a lot better than me. And Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now think about Conventus. Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. When the Conventus, when the Ecclesia gathers in Rome, they understand that they have the delegated authority to act as the, as the emperor desires. And they, they're actually legally able to come together and make a decision in line with the rules and laws of Rome. They understand that. Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you to go extend my kingdom. And not only do you have the delegated authority, you have me. The anointed one, Christ Jesus, within you on the scene. It's not just delegated authority. You certainly have that, but you also literally have me. I am with you to the end of the age, O Ecclesia. Now go extend my kingdom, O Ecclesia. Are you with me? Look at this. Look at Matthew uh, chapter 18. He says this, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Ecclesia. Do you see this, assembled ones? Do you see this assembly of God? Do you see this conventus of God? You are the people of God gathered and Christ is in us and with us and for us. And we're extending his kingdom in full confidence and not just with a delegated far, far away authority, but that Christ himself is certainly among us. So I say we stop scampering like dogs and start living like the assembly of God. So let's practice. We're going to talk more about this in this week, the devotions. And I encourage you, please download the app and take some time each day. It's five minutes. But we're covering these very same scriptures, these concepts, but with different facets and different approaches of this material so we can inculcate it. So we can be salt and light. So we can demonstrate the kingdom. So that we don't just hear a good word, but then have it sort of snatched away by the busyness of life or even the evil one who doesn't want us to grow. Amen? So, so you're going to hear some greater facets of it through this week. But one of the things I want to say is this. We get to gather together as the ecclesia, the assembled ones, to agree that his kingdom comes and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not take us out of earth so we can go to heaven. But that it would be on earth as it is in heaven. And we do not have the power to curse. Turn to your neighbor and say, you do not have power to curse. Tell them, you have the power to bless. <laughs> Whew, did you feel that? That's the truth. You and I have the power of the king of kings, the creator of all things, 
backs us when we bless in the name of Jesus Christ. However, you have to find somebody to agree with you in order to have a conventus. You don't have the power to bless in the same measure all by your lonesome. You don't have authority in the same way when you're alone. let it sink in. This is the greatest lie of the enemy. He comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. And he does that first by isolating you. But Jesus said, the power of my kingdom comes when you assemble and when you agree in my name. Now that has a purifying effect on our prayers, doesn't it? Because suddenly that means I have to pray a prayer somebody else would actually agree with. Right? So all you Republicans, when you sit down with your Democrat friends, and all you Democrats, when you sit down with your Republican friends, you're going to have to pan out before you're going to be able to pray prayers. Aren't you? You're going to have to find something that's bigger than partisan politics where you can both look at the problem and go, Oh, man, I will say amen to that. I will say amen to God's solution for that. So you might disagree a whole bunch down here. But the further you get up, suddenly you're centered in Christ and you go, okay, Lord, we do believe that we want to see life and life abundantly in this area. And so then at that point, then you go, okay, we're ready to pray. Church just ain't for happy little fairy tales, guys. We're changing the world here. Amen? So we have the power to bless. And it's only in Christ that we'll be unified. Look around, right? We're the most diverse group in the entire earth because the only thing we can agree on for the most part is Jesus. The disciples were like, who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. No, you're the greatest. I mean, I don't even know. So I, I get encouraged by that because... That's how we act. But we're the ecclesia, and God goes, I'm literally giving you all authority to agree in me for that. And he hasn't changed his mind, and he's real happy with the decision he made. So we get to bless. We come together, and we agree for the blessing of God. And we continue to go upward in Scripture and closer unto Jesus. We humble ourselves until we find a place where we can go, I can agree with you on this. Yes, let's pray that. And then we have authority to pray it. And until we get to that point, I don't think either of our prayers are actually getting answered. I know there's not authority for Jesus to do anything about it yet. He said we have to agree. It got cold in here. Are you guys, you guys mad at me all of a sudden? It's exciting, isn't it? So you have the power to bless. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to practice right now. And what I want us to do is I want us to join together in the conventus part that's the two or three gathered in my name, and I will do it. We're going to break up into those two and three groups. Let's just go for three. Let's make it threes just to spice it up a little bit because some of you are sitting with a friend and we want you to make a new one. So let's gather together in threes, and here are some prayers to just get you started. We're going to take five minutes, and we're just going to agree together, and if you just get through one of these, that's fine. Um, but here you go. Ready? Everybody stand up. Standing, 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 lovely. And now get with 
two other people, which makes three. Groups of three, get together. Let's pray for five minutes, and then we'll, uh, we'll close together in one, one Lord's Prayer together.